Welcome to Rehash, a Web3 podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rehash, a Web3 podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen. And today we're speaking with Aaron Soskin, founder of Govern, about contributor graphs, rage quitting, and what Aaron believes to be the ultimate use case for DAOs. But before we dive into our conversation with Aaron, here's a quick word from the Web3 projects that helped make the season possible. Web2 Social has become a world of walled gardens, where platforms own your data, your content, and your community. But Lens Protocol is a community garden, a user-owned, composable, and decentralized ecosystem designed to let Web3 social apps bloom. When you create content on Lens, you own it, you control it, you take it with you from app to app, and you decide how it's monetized. Instead of chasing ads and algorithms, you set the value of your work and your community collects it directly from you. Here at Rehash, we'll be experimenting with this ourselves by posting all content from season three on Lens, where our community can now truly interact and grow with us. So bring your photos and videos, your GMs and your friends, and come join the new era of social media on Lens Protocol. Go to claim.lens.xyz to claim the last social media handle you'll ever need. And be sure to follow rehash.lens. Contributing to a DAO can feel like this. Contributing to several DAOs can feel like this. But it doesn't have to. With Avenue, you can filter out the noise, get to know more DAOs, and start contributing right away. Avenue allows contributors to form organic teams to work together on the things they love. This means DAOs can operate, coordinate, and collaborate at a scale that used to be impossible. Because working together in a DAO should be like making music. The drummers drum, the singers sing, and when collaboration leads the way, a song emerges. No more relying on the core team to get things done. It's time to get your community contributing. To give your DAO the information they need to know, the tools they need to self-organize, and the spaces they need to work together, visit avenue.place. Hey guys, thanks for hopping on here. I just wanted to touch base real quick. What's up, Diane? What's up? So first of all, I just wanted to say thanks, Tyler, for taking these meeting notes. They look great. Uh, I didn't take those. I'll take credit for it, though. Wait, that wasn't you? Do we know who it was? And who's been posting those hilarious meme videos on our Twitter? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, There's a lot going on here, though. Like, how are we supposed to keep up with what everyone's doing? I don't know. It feels like pure chaos being in a DAO sometimes. Ellie, what was that thing you were talking about that helps DAO contributors like add and organize all of their contributions? Oh yeah, it's called Govern. It's like GitHub for DAO contributors. Ooh, that sounds cool. How does it actually work? Yeah, so it's actually a protocol where DAO members can add any task they've completed as a contribution. And then their fellow DAO members can attest to them to confirm that those contributions were valid without the need for a core team to do so. What you end up with is a simple bottom-up way for members to build out the DAO's contribution graph themselves. It gives contributors more power and freedom, it makes it a lot easier to accurately reward everyone, DAO members actually own all of their contributions, so if they want to jump into another DAO, they can actually prove they know their stuff. Okay, okay, I'm sold. Um, Can it be on-chain? Of course, but on Gnosis chain, so transactions are super cheap. Ooh. All right, yeah, I'm down. Diane? Yeah, for sure, let's set it up. Uh, what's the link, Ellie? Just go to govern.app, and that's govern without the E, so G-O-V-R-N dot app. Perfect. All right, well, if you guys got this, I got to jump back to another call.
Hey, Aaron, welcome to the podcast. How's it going today? Hey, 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 it's going good. It's going well here. Glad to be here. I'm really glad you're here, and we've got our matching bucket hats on. Uh, this what? is just two. If you're watching the YouTube version, these are two different ways to style your Govern bucket hat, and there are many more. So we're just giving you a couple of ideas. Aaron's way is super cool. It doesn't really work with long hair, but if you've got a a nice no bald hair. head like he does, <laughs> go give it a try. Uh, we're- uh, we are currently doing a Mima Palooza of different ways to wear your bucket hat with headphones, so we're interested in, in hearing your way. Um, yes, fun- please. If you come up with a new way, take a pic and tweet it to us, and maybe we'll retweet you if we like it. We'll definitely retweet you. And, and don't just take a pic. Make sure you log into Govern and log that as a contribution to Govern now. <laughs> All right, that's the most important piece. Or Bucket Hat Dow, even better yet. Ooh, Bucket. When Bucket Hat Dow? When Bucket Hat Dow? These are the questions. These are. All right. Well, Aaron, let's get into it. For people who aren't familiar with you, can you start off just by telling us a little bit about your background, how you got into crypto in the first place, and what got you in particular interested in DAOs? Yeah, a thousand percent. So hello, everybody. It's good to meet you again, or for the first time even. My name is Aaron Soskin, and I'm the founder of Govern. And what Govern is, it's a platform for DAO contributors to track, manage, and record their DAO contributions. But even before all this, what got me in was actually quite serendipitous. I was in my old job doing management consulting, and they used to offer these things they called brown bag lunches, where when the firm wanted you to learn about a new thing or new technology, they would offer free lunch and say, here's a free lunch, come sit and learn. And I just happened to be in the office one day, and we heard there's this brown bag lunch around this thing called blockchain. And uh, me and a friend didn't bring lunch, so we're like, perfect opportunity to get New lunch. My friend was like, I'm really interested in blockchain too. And I was like, yeah, me, me too. I had literally no idea what it was about, but I sat down and they started talking about Bitcoin. We were thinking about partnerships with Ripple at the time, which is pretty funny. And they started talking about Ethereum and I got really interested in what it was. And specifically the first thing that got me really interested was the concept of shared ledger, which is like such a simplistic way of saying it, but like a, a way a shared database where you can read data together. And even before DAOs, what really got me interested, because this was kind of before DAOs were a thing, was the idea of smart contracts. Smart contracts, once I learned about Ethereum and smart contracts, just blew my mind of the way that you could have coordinated, committed actions together. That was mind-boggling to me. And then that obviously then led to DAOs. And then once I learned about DAOs, it was just game over. I quit my job a couple months later and went to DAOs and Web3 full-time. Was there a lot of stuff you were doing at Accenture and management consulting that was about like coordinating people and how to govern yourself and things like that, that kind of like set the tone for you to get interested in this stuff? Um, no, <laughs> but if I'm being totally honest, before Accenture was like a deviation from like what I used to be doing a lot of, which was like nonprofit work, social impact work. Um, social clubs, a lot of like movement building, organizing people. And then I went to Accenture and kind of learned a whole different skill set. What I was doing at Accenture that got me really interested was we worked with a lot of retail technology partners that had to sell products via like channel management. Essentially, rarely do you buy 
a technology project from the supplier, you buy it from like a retailer or reseller. And you have like tens and thousands of partners in this channel that are reporting data to one person. And that one person has to reconcile all these different transactions. And it's a huge, huge mess. So when we first learned about blockchain, I immediately was like, oh, this is so applicable to this use case. And I, that's what, what started to get me kind of interested. But what I was really passionate is social movements, politics, social impact, and um, organizing people. And once I started to dive down that smart contract and down rabbit hole, it brought me back to the path that I think I was always supposed to be on. And again, once I learned about DAOs and I could see the way that it would change how we organized everything we did, it just nothing else mattered to me. So, Yeah, for sure. So I want to start off by talking about something that I've heard you talk a lot about, which is this emphasis on contributors in DAOs. So when we think about DAOs, a lot of people think about DAOs in the context of the technology or in the context of the things that the DAO does, like what does your DAO do? But I've heard you say time and again that really the focus in DAOs that we should be thinking about is the contributors. Can you sort of just like explain that for people who haven't heard you talk about this, like what your perspective is? Yeah, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. And it's kind of something I've always really believed, but it took me a while to, to stumble into it with DAOs and with Govern in particular. And I think a good way to frame it all up before I really dive in is this line is that uh, that I believe a lot, which is that the DAO doesn't define you, you define the DAO, right? All DAOs are is aggregations of contributors or contributions. And this to me is one of the cardinal differences between a Web2 company and a DAO, right? A Web2 company, when I go and join this company, I am now adopting the persona of the company, right? Or the CEO or whatever. They have decided this is the personality and now it's getting trickled down to the contributor. What's really powerful about DAOs is the idea of emergence, the idea of permissionless, the idea that good ideas can come from anywhere, the idea that the organization and entity itself can morph into whatever is needed to accomplish its goals. The way that you do that is by understanding that DAOs are nothing more than contributors. It's by focusing on a contributor and empowering them to take the DAO into a new direction, right? In this world of corporations, it's very much top-down definition. And in DAOs, it's bottom-up definition. So the, in our opinion, the best way to achieve bottom-up governance or emergence or definitions is instead of trying to empower one person or two people or core people, is to empower all the contributors, everybody. A raising tide raises all ships. And so that's how we really think about what we're doing. How do we build tools to empower all the contributors so they can collectively define the thing together rather than making it easy for the middle out to coordinate power or narratives, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So today, the way that DAOs operate is if you're a contributor to a DAO and you do work for the DAO, essentially the DAO ultimately owns the work that you do for them. Sort of like when you work at a company, you know, like before starting Rehash, I had been podcasting for other companies. And when I left the company, I couldn't bring any of that with me. All of that stayed with the company. And that's sort of like how DAOs are today. And so what Govern does is it instead puts ownership of those contributions into the hands of the contributors instead of the DAO, right? Yeah, a thousand percent. Any organization, the way you add to it is the work you do for this organization, not just the money you give, but the actual time, effort, and value that you push towards this organization. And in the old world, in these top-down worlds, they controlled the narrative around what you contributed. They controlled the records. Like you were just saying, Diana, in your old job, you did all this work. And let's say like I wanted to go to you and say, hey, Diana, I'm just kind of curious. What did you do? Like a letter of reference or recommendation. What did you do? Can you tell me? 
And you'd be like, yeah, amazing. Here's a number you can call to get a letter of reference. That means you are at the behest of whoever this person is. Like, I'm calling this person up. I'm saying, hey, do you know Diana? And they're like, Diana who? Right? And just kidding. They'd be like, Diana was amazing. Because, of course. But either way, your records or value or narrative around that work is being controlled by like a that other previous company, by someone else. They kind of own your contribution narrative, right? With Govern, what we want is the way that you can own your own narrative, right? You can own that contribution record. And like there's no decay in people remembering what you actually did. And in a DAO, this idea of like calling for a reference doesn't even work. Like who's your manager, right? Do you call every single person that you worked with at the DAO? So what we kind of do and we focus on is we allow you to record the work that you've done on a blockchain and have people give social attestations that prove it and value that work. It's a on-chain record that you actually own, that you have ownership of, that you have collective validation that it actually happened and valued. So now when you go to something new, now when you go to a new project and you're like, hey, I did all this work, they can just go and read all the work you've done validated by peers that they trust. Essentially, it's like a GitHub for all contributions. It's like a GitHub for all contributions. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so I see this as being especially useful for, say, you know, somebody who's newer to the space, who's just getting into the space, contributing to a bunch of DAOs, but nobody really knows who they are. Like, if you wanted to go out and contribute to DAOs, like, everybody knows who Aaron Soskin is, and you would have no problem being able to get into a DAO and start contributing for them. But say, like, somebody who is new to the space, or maybe, like, just as kind of a a more of a low-key personality, like, not really big on Twitter, not really big with, like, putting themselves out there, but they're really smart, really talented, and they want to work for a certain DAO, somebody like that is really going to benefit from having all of their past contributions recorded on Govern so that they have proof of work to show when they, you know, don't necessarily have maybe the social capital that is, you know, such a big player in people getting work in this space today. Yeah, I a thousand percent agree with that use case. We want people to be able to earn their way into anything that they do right? We want people to be able to be defined by the value they've created, not just the social reputation they've gained, not just the financial reputation they gained, but the actual value you can create with the labor that you're able to contribute, right? Your human capital, you are a valuable person that does valuable things and that should be valued. And I actually think it's both. I think it's like these new contributors and really senior contributors, right? Something that I'm always really excited about is the idea if you are a contributor, maybe you've been contributing for a while, and you contribute to a lot of different DAOs, we can now start to map out how you as a one person can increase value across the ecosystem, right? For example, something that we've been thinking a lot about is contribution chains. The idea that a contribution can be inspired from another contribution, from another, from another, from another, and you can see how this like interesting chain of contributions emerged. Now, let's apply that to something like Rehash, right? And then you and Diana, right? So Diana's on, Diana's interviewing all these interesting, incredible people, Rehash is putting on this incredible, incredible production. These are actually contributions Diana and Rehash has been making to all these different DAOs, to all these different projects, as well as Rehash itself, right? And so even if you're a really high value contributor or a really high knowledgeable contributor, we can start to map out not just like the value that Rehash creates in terms of Rehash, but the value Rehash creates in terms of the secondary and tertiary effects to all these other projects, right? We did this podcast maybe... A thousand other people heard it and 
10 of them decided that they were going to make a contribution based off this podcast because of this really hard-hitting question that Diana answered and it really stumped Aaron. That actually inspired the first contribution in a whole new project in a new kind of way. And we start to see how one contribution can have this trickle-down value, not trickle-down, I call trickle-up value, in creating all these new trees and branches and chains. And that's really cool. Whether you're new and you're building up reputation for the first time or you are high value, you want to see the full value you create with the work that you do. It's incredibly helpful just to be able to map this out. Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about these contributions, just so people can understand a little bit more tangibly, how granular are we getting with these contributions? In in your opinion, like when people record their contributions on Govern, how detailed should they be getting? Like, should they only record a contribution if that made a big impact for the DAO? Or should they record every little thing that they do for the DAO? That's a phenomenal question. We're actually really excited to learn with you all, (laughs) which I know is like, I feel like a cop-out answer, but it's the truth, right? We want to know. It's actually so fascinating. And and again, it stresses the idea of bottom-up emergence versus top-down like goal setting, right? And we could come up and we could say, hey, this is the granularity you should be doing it at. We think this is the right way. But that's like us influencing an opinion on everybody. And that doesn't always make sense for their kind of context and situations. What we are much more interested in is allowing you to describe the value in your own words, you to describe the unit of work in your own words. So some people, they'll say like, I did 50 discovery calls in one contribution. Some people will do separate them out, right? That is totally up to the user to decide. And what's really cool about our system, as people start to record different things, we have a way where they can kind of start to create a shared language and shared practices and say, this is the granularity we do it at. This is not the granularity, but it's all via like bottom up. So everyone is recording in different ways. You can now all see it and then you can choose one of the granularities you want to be going at. Do you see that language coming from individuals or from DAOs? This reminds me of back to like my days as an attorney when I had to bill for all of my services. And, you know, each law firm has their own way of billing. And so they say, this is the terminology we use to bill for X. This is the terminology we use to bill for Y. And after a while, you catch on and then it becomes really easy to do your billing, to record your contributions, essentially, because you've already innately adopted that lingo. Do you see that happening at the DAO level or do you see individuals sort of just coming up with their own ways? Yes. No, I know. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, but yes, uh, both is the truth. And this is, uh, again, if there's one philosophy of govern, right? If there's one thing, it's, it's bottom up, it's you define the DAO. And so like, yes to both in the sense where and this is actually, we have a whole R&D team that's been working on this. But I'll give a big shout out to Christine Vandervoord, who is like the co-founder been working on, on this exact idea, contribution language and taxonomies. The way that it works at Govern is we allow all these individual people to have their own language, their own taxonomy, their own style of recording. But what we've built into the protocol is a way for DAOs to look at all the languages people have been using and then choose one as the shared language or merge different languages together to create a DAO language. It's like 50 people, maybe they'll have 30 different languages between them. With Govern's like protocol, you can merge that into one language that the DAO uses. But because the contributor is the composable unit, let's say 20% of the people want to use a different language, they can essentially split off into another entity. And now you have two languages, right? Because our composable unit is the contributor. 
right? And we aggregate it up to the DAO level, which means we can disaggregate it when it needs to be disaggregated. A really clear example is one of the most valuable contributions we see consistently across DAOs is the idea of onboarding new members, right? Zach and I from Cabin had this joke that it's always only ever been about onboarding. Like that was the, like that's like DAO's ultimate goal is just onboarding people. But anyways, you can have 20 different ways to describe onboarding. I did an onboarding call with Diana. I onboarded Diana. I gave her the onboarding stack. All these different like ways I've onboarded 10 people. All these different ways of describing the same core action. What Govern kind of allows you to do is take all these shared ontologies and choose one as the canonical one that this DAO uses. Again, aggregating different pieces of this language to one, and then again, disaggregating it if you need to. And this idea of divergence and convergence is really important and something really unique about Govern. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And sort of just to like sum it up a bit, I know we've tried drawing some parallels between contribution graphs in DAOs versus in the traditional world with working at a company. But just to sort of sum it up, how would you compare recording contributions on Govern with, you know, something like putting a resume on LinkedIn? Yeah. I kind of like to say it as much as it pains me. If you rebuilt LinkedIn for the DAO world, that would be Govern. In Web2, it used to be about where you worked. Now it's about what you do because everything you do is valuable. And as we push forward this idea of Web3 and DAOs, you're not just going to belong or work for one company or one idea. And the truth is, this is like not even that crazy of an idea. When you live in a city and you pick up trash on your street, you are creating value for your city block. You're creating value for your neighborhood, for your city council, for your actual city, for your state, right? There's like all these contexts to the value that you create and your contribution is composable between these ideas. And they're like, who do you work for? Like if someone was like that contribution you made, what was that under the premise of? It's like, well, it was under the premise of everything and nothing at all, right? And so in Web2, it was about where you worked and now it's about what you do because you create value in so many different contexts. So that's the differentiator we'd like to kind of call out. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think to me, like another big differentiator too is on LinkedIn, you know, the most you can get of somebody else sort of like attesting to the work that you've done is if they want to write you a LinkedIn review. Like exactly. I could write and say, I worked with Aaron Soskin at this company. He was a great guy to work with, always upbeat and energetic, really smart. And like, that's that. But but that's about as specific as people get with LinkedIn reviews. I can't really speak to all the specific things that you did in your job and why it's so great. Whereas with a governed contribution graph, people can see all the granular things that you actually did there and that, you know, your boss at your previous company or at your DAO or your manager, whoever you worked with, somebody attested to that as well, that you completed this actual thing. And so that gives you, I think, so much more credit than just somebody, you know, writing a couple of sentences about how smart and cool you are. Yeah, a thousand percent. A thousand percent. I agree. That's a great example. And something that a lot of people I think forget is we're not actually getting rid of any of these core basic ideas. Like the idea of someone else explaining what you've done is actually extremely valuable. The idea of kudos or karma or like praise but that is way more helpful in the context at the contribution record layer as well, right? Like there are all these social interactions which are really helpful. Like like I love the fact that Diana would come on Govern and be like, Aaron was great in X, Y, Z, right? That is really nice and helpful. But we want to break it down from just like at a high level, but to the specific level of contributions, right? That way you can actually have these composable units and 
it's just more meaningful that way, right? Like you said, it's not just like these general ambiguous kind of compliments. I can actually understand what you've done and how you can contribute. For sure. All right. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about another topic that I know where you stand on this. And I just want to play devil's advocate a little bit and also just have a conversation around it. And that's on the topic of rage quitting, uh, which is rage a quitting. lockdown mechanism. Yeah, I know. You're you're a rage quit maxi. Uh, I am a rage quit maxi. I myself have a few reservations about rage quitting. I'm going to back up and say, first of all, I absolutely think that there should be some mechanism like rage quitting for people to exit out of a DAO when they disagree with the direction that the DAO is going in, right? You don't want to be stuck and married to a DAO for the rest of your life. But I guess my question is just, I don't know that rage quitting is the best mechanism for people to leave a DAO. Well, I, I'm curious to hear just your initial response to that. You don't think rage quitting is the best way for someone to leave a DAO. Is that correct? Correct. It's maybe not the best way. I'm saying uh, that because I, I don't have a better idea right now. So I don't want to just be like, this sucks, but I nah, can't nah. think of a better way. We can throw rocks at the glass house. Like, why okay. not? Like, let's see what breaks. I'm a big fan of shaking the tree and seeing what falls. I love this question. I don't know. I'm not sure rage quitting is the best way. But I am a rage quit maxi. And there's something that I'm going to come back to, which is that rage quitting is a really good example of divergence for the sake of learning. But what we've forgotten about is the idea of convergence. So I want to come back to that point. Why I love rage quitting, okay? Back to your earlier question, what got me into DAOs was the idea of self-governance. Really what the ultimate use case is for me is the idea of like, how do you apply DAOs to politics, to civic structures, to city life, right? That is, to me, what really excites me about this. Why I think it's so exciting is because it gives us the tools to self-govern. Now, why is that a big deal that we have the tools to self-govern? I'm a big believer. I'm also what I would consider an anti-capture, Maxi. I think you've had Spencer on this podcast, and he's talked about anti-capture. I've worked, I've talked to him a lot about anti-capture. I'm an anti-capture maxi before I'm a decentralization maxi. That's the truth, right? I think like tools of decentralization, their goal is to reduce the ability of capture or to increase how capture resistance resistant organizations are. Like that is really, really important. I've kind of now adopted that there's two ways to make it more capture resistance. One, you can increase the amount of nodes in the network that have governance over something. So if like there are a hundred of us all with an equal vote, it's really hard for one person to capture the whole organization. Now, the other way in my mind of creating capture resistant organizations is really great accountability tools. So like, let's say that we had one person that was in charge, but we had ultimate accountability over this person. It's relatively capture resistant as well, right? And we're kind of achieving those ideas of decentralization. A good example of this, a good thought experiment is that Peter Pan used to talk about like three or four years ago was if we lived in a dictatorship, ultimate power with one person, but at any point in time, you could rage quit that country, would that still be a bad thing? Like, would that still technically be a dictatorship? And so to me, why I love rage quitting so much is it's the ultimate accountability mechanism, okay? Think about it like this. If you had a person that was a centralizing force in power, there's two ways to remove them from power. You can like impeach them. That's like getting them out of power, or you can rage quit which is taking the power away from them. It's like, yeah, maybe you're still the president or prime minister or whatever, or like czar of this organization, but we've taken the organization away from underneath you. You got nothing left. And that to me is rage quitting. And so in like 
prisoner's dilemma game theory, once you have an alternative, once you have the ability of self-governance, once you have the alternative to leave an organization, it changes the way the odds play out. And it forces these people to be a better actor. So that was a very, very long answer. But that, like rage quitting to me, is the ultimate accountability mechanism. I totally, I totally hear you. And I think in in that somewhat extreme example of a dictatorship, I think I think rage quitting totally works and probably is the best way because if you're dealing with a dictator, they're not someone that you're probably gonna want to try reasoning with too much and working out a solution. But in a less extreme example of people working together in a DAO, mostly pretty reasonable, normal people who are not dictators. I guess my pushback is with rage quitting, like it's such an extreme mechanism that why not just sort of talk out your problems with the people or like if somebody submits a proposal that you don't like in a DAO, why not have a conversation around it? Maybe you can submit a V1 proposal that takes away the parts that you don't like about it and replaces it with the parts that you would like. Or if you're just having an issue with one person that you think is problematic, maybe you could go to them and say, Hey, Aaron, I feel like the way you're trying to run this DAO is like a bit like dictatory. Like, can we talk about it and maybe try to work out a solution? I, I just think rage quitting by just saying, you know, I hate everything. Like, I disagree with this. I hate everything I'm leaving. Are you potentially destroying relationships that could have been built up instead? Are you burning bridges? Are you just bypassing conflict resolution options that you could take and instead you know, taking an extreme route and maybe like bringing down the morale and the vibe of the organization as a whole. Those are kind of like my concerns with rage quitting. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that there needs to be a way to express dissent. Like dissent is an extremely important piece of governance, okay? And we sometimes overlook that, right? And I think there's two examples to bring up. If someone puts forward a proposal and the majority of people vote it down, that's the majority is in agreement, Okay. Rage quitting is a last resort option, but it's the idea of minority protections or uh, like minority representation protections. If you are in a DAO and like there's a hundred of us, let's say, and 70 people want to go one way and 30 people want to go the other way, rage quitting is a way of protecting those 30, of those 30 people being like, hey, the DAO is not going our way. I don't give my consent to be governed in this way and thus I'm going to leave. Right. I agree it's a last resort. And I agree that like we should pursue conflict resolution first. And there's always this question of am I burning too much social capital in rage quitting? I mean, I think that's like a hundred percent of calculation we all have to make. And and I do think it reduces how trustless maybe we'd say that rage quitting is. Something that I we've been playing around with more is Again, this idea, and this is back to it, the idea of divergence and convergence. So we in the space have gotten really focused on the idea of divergent organizations and forking as a mechanism of accountability, of rage quitting and forking. I am one of those people that like was becoming obsessed with this, am obsessed with this. And it was actually something I was talking to Christine, my co-founder, about who expressed her unhappiness with with this like extreme mechanism and that we focus so much on divergence but we actually don't focus enough on convergence right and so this is something that we've been actually playing around with at govern and it's kind of built into the protocol even there's this line that christine has used which is that divergence is for learning and convergence is for growing Okay, so when we are in a DAO together and the DAO is going in a single direction and 30 people out of 100 are like, we don't like the direction this DAO is going in, we need the ability to diverge. 
That's what rage quitting is. Rage quitting says us 30 people don't agree. We don't consent to this direction. So we're going to rage quit, fork, and start going this direction. So now we have two diverging ways. Now, truth is both of these diverging organizations or, or these organisms is like I'd actually refer to them. These diverging organisms are both learning something. But for these learnings to be achieved, for growth to actually happen, we need to actually provide the ability to reconverge. And so it's actually, I, I agree with you that rage quitting is not the best, especially when there's no opportunity to reconverge. And this is actually something that we're like now working on in the protocol, right? With a govern is the ability for communities to diverge when there is a disagreement on how to do something, how to, the taxonomy, the language, or how to value something. This is a common one. Like 70% of the people value a piece of work at like, 10 points, another, uh, some value it at, at three points. We allow these organizations to actually create divergent branches or divergent organi organisms, but then after like an epoch of time, allow them to reconverge into one and grow into a new direction. So they're going this direction, 30% rage quit. So now we're going these directions. But then after a month, they realize that there's a middle ground that's way better and they can now reconverge. And now they're going this direction. They said it was with 10 points. They said it was with three points. After one month, they both realized, actually, it's six points. They reconverge and they're going this way. So that is actually the key. We have to remember it's an iterative prisoner's dilemma. It's not, not a one-time thing. That's how I think we actually can make rage quitting a way more effective in terms of like long-term relationship building. So I think that brings up another interesting point and another interesting topic of debate is how decentralized does a DAO have to be? Right. So in this conversation, we've been talking about two different things. On the one hand, the technology that powers DAOs and the technology that enables things to be decentralized and trustless, and we don't have to rely on a person to do things. But on the other hand, you know, the sort of pushback is, well, we are all human beings that make up the DAO. Like the DAO is about the contributors who are human. And with humans, you can't solve human coordination problems purely through tech, I think. Because humans aren't that simple. We're not robots. Humans are a lot more dynamic than a math problem or code. So how do you balance, I guess, like in, in your view, and you know, there's no answer to this. Everybody has a different opinion about it. But in your view, how decentralized does a DAO have to be? How much can we bring in a human component of it, like bring in a human mediator to resolve conflicts, for example, instead of having people rage quit? And then when you talk about convergence too, you know, like there's divergence, maybe we disagree on this, and then ultimately we come back together. I don't think that can happen purely through tech, can it? Like I, I think that that convergence part of it, in my opinion, probably requires some human element to it. What do you think? Uh, no, I, I think the amount of decentralization that's needed is however much is required to make capture resistant organizations. Uh, and again, I really want us to push away from this idea that decentralization just means there is no center. Okay. I think this is like a very one dimensional way of thinking about decentralization. Decentralization means that no one party owns the governance or owns the bones or the skeleton or the infrastructure of the organization. If one person can, sh can shut down your DAO, that's a huge problem, right? Like that is a problem. I don't care if one person is choosing the direction of your DAO. If everyone has consented to one person choosing the direction, that's fine. But if that one person can shut it down and you don't have the ability to offer continuous consent to be governed, that's a problem. So how much decentralization is needed? 
however much is needed for those two things to be accomplished in, in any context. And I think that can be taken on a case-by-case basis. Like I think it's hard to create platitudes that cut across things. But the second that we remove the ability for someone to give the consent to be governed, and two, we make it so that one person can shut it down, that's a problem. I think a really good example is like Telegram is really great for communicating with a bunch of people. But if you have an admin that can shut down your whole Telegram group, that's messed up. Like that is messed up, right? Like all of a sudden, like our ability to coordinate our infrastructure is being held at the whim of one person and benevolent dictators are great until they aren't. Then you're fucked and then you're really fucked and sorry. And then like, that's a huge problem. Um, And so that is my problem. I don't think we need to be like decentralization maxis, but I do think that we depend too often or we are too okay with benevolent dictators and in the sense we're benevolent dictators in terms of owning the infrastructure. I don't mind benevolent dictators in terms of setting course and direction. Like you need a bit of centralization for that. When you we take away the idea of consent to govern and when we take away the idea that one person can shut down everything, that is my kind of my barriers. I think you're right. We aren't math problems and we can't fix emotional issues. And the truth is, is that without like mediation, without like social coordination, no one's going to want to work with you. Even if it's technically possible for you to reconverge, if you have made it so difficult to to work with other people, no one's going to want to reconverge. And I think that's like a big thing. We need to build the tools for everything to be possible, for for everyone to be able to diverge and reconverge. But if you're an asshole, it doesn't matter how great the tool is because no one's going to want to reconverge with you. And so that I think is like the other side of that balance. For sure. Tech cannot solve assholes. That's that's yeah, a, yeah, one thing I know about technology. If anything, <laughs> tech has an ability to really ramp up the assholeness <laughs> and, and give it assholes. Yeah, for real. Uh, something Going back to something you, you mentioned earlier, um, you, you mentioned that you believe the ultimate use case for DAOs is actually in politics and civic life. Can you elaborate on what you mean by that? Yes. And it's actually so applicable to what we were just talking about. This might be a hot take. I actually like politics. I like politics. I like politicians. I think they do their best within reason. Like there are some like really tyrannical governments. There are some really bad actors. There are hundred percent are. In my opinion, for most people I met, most people got into politics because they wanted to do good, right? A lot didn't, but you know, okay. I think we can help make politicians, politics jobs better by self-governing more. The more that we can self-govern, the more efficient we can make politics and we can make politicians, okay? Why is it that I like or I'm so interested in government? I just don't think that there is a single other institution that is so large that has the ability to coordinate so many people, for good or for bad. For better or for worse, as time has evolved, we have adopted these governance and government structures to, to mediate so much of our life around here, right? And... More often than not, it's all the public goods that are being governed by these things. It's these things that affect the most amount of people. It's the largest organizational forces. And there's already composable units built into it. We have like the UN, we have countries, we have states, we have cities, we have city councils, we have local ordinances, we have neighborhood associations, we have housing associations, you have houses, you have families, you have siblings, you have dogs, right? Like, like that is the breakdown. And the dogs have cats and the cats, I don't even know. There's this like song over the Jews sing over Passover about like, my father bought for two Zuzim, Haga, whatever. It's not important. Anyways, like government. We, Can you we, sing it for us? I don't know uh, it. 
It's, it's For people who like, don't know it, can you just give us a taste of it? I don't know if I can. Um, it's like the song about. Uh, it's like the cat, the ox, the that kicked the donkey, that the drink from the well, that the father filled up, that the son took the water out of, that my father bought for two zoos. Um, uh, it's like this long thing where each time you sing it, you have to like add a new line. And the goal is you have to say it in one breath and it gets really, really long. Um, and so he gets to the end. And then the end is like this verse where you go like, ha, God, yeah, ha, God, yeah. Like that is the song on Passover. It's also, mind you, that we sing the song near the end of our Passover Seder after one has had at minimum four cups of wine um, and like ate, eaten enough food for um, like 12 families. And I've recounted the story of uh, Exodus and how the Jews fled Egypt. That's what I'm missing from my prep doc that I sent over to guests is please drink four glasses of wine before minimum, you have on podcast. Minimum four glasses of wine. Minimum. There's actually a blessing over each one of them. And there's a rule you have to drink at least half of each glass. It's pretty wild. You're also supposed to lounge the entire dinner. Anyways, this is a song you sing at the end of it. Generally, people are pretty boyous, uh, joyous. Um <laughs> What were we talking about? <laughs> um, Shoot, sorry. Uh, uh, politics, cities, <laughs> governance. Yeah, yeah, politics, yep. Anyways, moral of the story, <laughs> government is one of these things that's already baked into society that controls so much of it. City infrastructure, public schools, public parks, all of these different pieces. And really, where government comes into place Anytime that we have a coordination failure and we aren't able to coordinate amongst one another, we just kick the can to government. We're like, okay, city, um, or okay, mayor, okay, governor, okay, president, we need you to be able to figure this out now, right? So in my opinion, DAOs, the ability to coordinate amongst one each other, ultimate use case is to govern the things that affects the most amount of people. Corporations have figured out a way to govern, govern these private goods, we have not figured out a way to, to govern these public goods, and that's why we have politics, right? So the way that more that we can do self-politic and the way that we can do more self-governance, um, the better, in my opinion. So that is that is a little bit to it. How, how do you see this playing out in real life, I guess? Like, for example, I mean, we're both U.S.-based, so thinking about the the towns or the communities that we've, you know, lived in or that we live in now, how do you actually see that playing out? Do you see that playing out, or is this all sort of just like what would be nice to have in theory? Uh, hold on, we're at technical difficulty, real fast. Your, <laughs> your mic, your mic. What you were saying was so passionate that even your mic felt it. And we were, yeah, my mic <laughs> was just like, yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, one second here, one second. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> you got any Did good it just jokes? get unscrewed from your desk? <laughs> it literally just came off my desk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would sing you a song, but I never claim to have a good voice like you did. So I'm I've just going to leave that for you. Yeah, It's something about this raspy voice that people say is just really, really mind-bending. You and Parker. Do you know Parker? Oh, do I know Parker? Me and Parker should form a duet. That's the best idea ever. You should. Ever. Honestly, it would actually be Parker on lead vocals, but I would definitely be a backup singer to Parker. Um, yeah, harmonize. Dude, it would be uh, the sexiest, raspiest harmony duo Ever. I, I'm, this is a great idea. Um, we're going to create, or I'm going to reach out to Parker literally today. Um, we're going to record yeah. this. Uh, do you have any songs that you like that you would, you would recommend us recording? I have to think about it. What is your I'm, favorite I'm trying song, to think, Diana? I'm trying to think, uh, well, so I'm a big Chili Peppers fan, as are you. Um, but I'm trying to think, should I recommend a song that like 
that one would normally think should be saying in a raspy voice? Or should I go something totally unexpected and then have like a a raspy cover that nobody saw coming? Ooh, you know, like it's an original. I kind of like the idea of original, but I do love the chili peppers. But like, I think we can get more interesting. You know what I mean? Like, like what if, what if I, what if I went with like a Lincoln Park song? You know, Whoa. that's like super intense. But then you guys toned it down Ooh. and made it like acoustic and raspy. Like we remixed it. Yeah. This is a great idea. All right. So Lincoln Park, Parker and I, we're gonna slow it down, make it raspy. Yeah. We're like gonna Louis Armstrong this. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, and then you should make a DAO around it, and uh, I'll be the first member of your DAO. I'll be, like, your band manager. Do we call the DAO your band manager? I'd love this. You'd be a great band manager, uh, Diana. Do we call this... I think um, I would... Do we call this raspy voice DAO, or, like, raspy singing DAO, or, like, beautiful song DAO, sexy song DAO? We can come up with sex, sexy song DAO. Yeah. Sexy song sexy DAO. Sexy song DAO. Sorry, yeah. song of day. Sorry, Jonathan. We're We're... You got some competition. He's not going for the sex appeal. It's okay. We honestly, Jonathan, this is my request to you to do a cameo on one of our songs. We'd love to. We'd love to have you featured. Oh my god! As like oh. the second track on the album. Yeah, I can. Um, I can play the uh something. I can play something. The I'm something? more of like an instrument player than uh than a singer. Yeah, the, I can play anything. <laughs> you can play can anything. Play keys, guitar, drums, guitar, anything you want. Ooh. Never tried it, but I think I could figure it out. I bet you could figure it out. I'm in. Wow, yeah. this is shaping up to be quite the band. Yeah. I'm super in. Cool. How's your mic doing? Uh, it's good. I think I've I've got it for right now, but we're going to see if there's any other problems. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, All right. No more no more spicy takes. Don't get too spicy or else your mic is going to collapse break again. off. Um, yeah. We were talking about... We were talking about... Uh, oh, so I was asking you, how do you actually see the? How do you actually see this playing out? Like what you were just saying, yeah, playing yeah, out totally, in real totally. life, or do you see it playing out? Yeah, um, I don't see it playing out yet. To be honest, I for a long time got into Web three and, and DAOs and was like immediately started to try to take these tools that we were building and apply them to the real world, apply them to politics. It's really hard to do. There's like two really practical things we have to figure out. DAOs are technology to make things more equitable. If only 1% of a population know how to use the technology, it's inherently inequitable. This is like one of the big problems with like blockchain voting as well, right? Like try teaching my grandma how to like vote on MetaMask, right? So like there's like a very like practical thing we have to figure out first to make it more equitable. And two is like what is the right governance models? And that's like a really hard, a hard difference. I want to start more like experiments with like running housing associations like DAOs, like apartment complexes like DAOs. Why I think it's been ineffective so far is because voting to me is a very narrow definition of how one participates in a DAO, right? Voting is how one participates in elections, in government, right? But when we participate in our cities, we actually do way more. Do you shop locally? Do you use the public schools? Are you doing garage fairs every now and then? Do you pick up litter in the streets? All of these contributions, like, actually is what makes, like, the DAO a DAO, right? And that's actually, in my opinion, the way more beneficial piece. Because, like, in the, you can build up social reputation, you can build up all these other pieces. It's not just about voting. I mean, if we limit ourselves to just voting, the DAO use case actually gets quite, quite boring, in my opinion, right? I mean, there's, like, not really a big benefit, right? Because, like, there's no way if we went to, like, <laughs> if, if we went to, I'm, I'm right now in, in Chicago, right? And if I went to even just this neighborhood in Chicago and got everyone together 
and gave this whole speech. Hey, everyone, I'm really excited. We're going to turn the city into a DAO. And they're like, oh, that's amazing. What does that mean? And I'm like, it's really, really awesome. It means we vote on everything every two to three days. They're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you, what do you want me to do? You Like, this is supposed to make things better. I have to vote on things every two to three days. No, right? So it, like, it, it's actually the whole process around making DAOs work that, that we need to figure out. And we need to make it done in a way where it's easy for people. It's very actively passive um, for them to participate and to make sure that more counts in participation than just voting, right? If your only participation is voting, that makes sense with really small things, not really big things. The bigger the organization gets, the more governance needs to feel a lot more like curation, where I'm doing small things, which influences the course of everything, right? I'm not voting on everything, but I pick up litter in this area, and that influences where public dollars are being sent, right? Making a city a DAO is by tying normal public participation into governance. That's like where I ultimately see it going. That's like where I think it's like a lot more beneficial, not increasing the number of elections, not putting voting on the blockchain, all that, that will be cool. And this is the difference between like trustware and socialware. I don't know. I think Cabin's doing a really good job. Big shout out to Cabin. I, I love what they're doing. A city DAO is a really good experiment too. I'd like, if you are a housing association trying to build a DAO, I'd love to talk to you. I also think that like political parties should be DAOs and like that would be a much better use case. There's three different parts of governance in my opinion. There's politics, there's government, and there's civic engagement. All right. There's like three different areas and you can break that down into crypto governance as well. Cause like we have delegates, we have token holders, and then we also have like the uh, labs, like the people that actually operate and execute the different things. And the where we should be experimenting is where the risk of messing things up is much, much lower. Right. So it, that's a really, again, long winded answer, but I'm excited. I think, I think voting is the last piece. There's a lot more DAO like components we can introduce into our real life communities that have way bigger implications. Like voting is just so boring in my opinion. Like, let me flip the question back to you, Diana. What is your favorite part about being in a DAO? Like the, like not like the favorite, like blah, 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 or value prop, but like in the morning you wake up, you're like, I can't wait to contribute to X DAO for Y reason. Huh. All right. We're uh, flipping the interview around. I like it. My favorite part about being in a DAO is probably just like the speed at which it moves and like the flexibility of work from a contributor perspective. I think a lot of my frustrations with companies that I've worked at in the past is just how slow moving it is. Like that's been a common complaint I've had at almost every company I've worked at, how slow moving it is or how many hoops I have to jump through to get anything done. And I think that like slowdown of momentum over time tends to, I guess, just like take me out of the game mentally a little bit. I don't know how to like quiet quit or like half-ass anything. I'm kind of like a go big or go home kind of person. So if I'm going to work, decide to work at a company, like I'm 110% in. And I think just the constant sort of hoops that you have to jump through that hold you back ultimately will make me feel like nobody here cares as much as I do. And it's not even my company. So right. uh, that's dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, plus one to that. Um, I love the like quiet, not a quiet quitting person. Like you're all in or not. Um, I just like don't even know how to quiet quit. 
Like yeah. if I'm if I'm out, if I'm checked out, I'm just gonna loud quit. You Says know? the person and that doesn't like rage quitting. <laughs> What's up with that? Um, <laughs> no, but these are this is amazing. High five number one. I love the like those are 100 percent great reasons to love working in DAOs. That's what we should start with when we talk about bringing DAOs into city life. How do we use DAO-like structures or DAO-like pieces to increase the speed at which people can like improve a city and to give people ownership for doing that, right? To giving you more of a say. Oh, maybe if you're like running town halls or maybe if you're proposing new initiatives or like running sidewalk cleanups, you should get the ability. I don't know. I don't love the idea of getting extra votes, but maybe like there's a way where it's easier for people to honor you or maybe there's a way to build up reputation or maybe you can like more quickly run for the city mayor, right? What if we had the ability to run for city mayor predicated on this idea of like fast moving initiatives, right? Um, instead of like raising money from a lot of like big money donors and outside influences. So I think that those two examples you just gave are phenomenal places to start. And that's how we should be asking how you take DAOs and apply them to politics and city life. Not like, what's a DAO? Like make that like, let's turn Chicago into a DAO. Uh, But rather, I love DAOs for X. How do I make it easier for my community to do X? And then like see what emerges, see what grows from this idea. Because... The same down model that works for Meta Cartel or Boys Club or Cabin or <laughs> shit. Um, oh, or, no. Or <laughs> I was too passionate. <laughs> too passionate. <laughs> uh, sorry, everyone. Um, my mic just dropped. Anyways, you might as well just you might as well just hold it for. The I'm just gonna hold time. it for the rest it, of the just time. Just pretend you're on stage. Yeah, you know, exactly. With the mic in your hand. <laughs> um, the same down model that works for a Meta Cartel, that works for a Boys Club, that works for a Rehash, that works for a Cabin, that works for any of these, is not necessarily the same model that's going to work for Chicago. And even further, the model that works in Chicago is not going to be the model that works in San Francisco or DC or Bogota or Osaka or Berlin or any of these places, right? It's about taking what what the core components that is so fascinating about DAOs are, taking those things that interest us the most, bringing them to the city and working with the people that are going to be governed to say, hey, this is the starting point now. This is the starting point. Let's build from here. Because before, before what happened is I showed up, I claimed this land and I said, here's the governance and you adopt it. No, those days are gone. We got rid of the monarch, right? Now let's show up. These are the principles that we believe in. Let's now emergently build the governance structures from that. And that's how we turn our cities into DAOs. It's not about even like turning the city into a DAO. It's just about making cities more equitable and making civic life more equitable. Um, And if that's the starting place, man, that makes me excited about the future. I can tell. Aaron Soskin for president. I'm going to start a campaign on Twitter. No, no, no. no. That's a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) For mayor. Maybe we'll start there, see how it goes, and then we can either promote you or not. I'm down to start at like housing association, neighborhood association. That's a good place to start. Okay, we can start there. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, Founder of company that works too. Potentially drawing out even more passionate takes from you. I'd love to hear your take on the current environment of DAOs and maybe of Web3 in general. So this is the first episode I'm recording after all the FTX uh, insanity has gone down. And so obviously in the last week, the crypto space has been in possibly the worst mood that it's been in, in I don't know how many years, maybe since Mt. Gox is what I'm hearing a lot of people saying, but definitely in a long time, like this has been the gloomiest week that I've experienced uh, in this last week. So where do you see DAOs 
standing today in this sort of like deep, deep bear market? What do you think people are doing well? Like what should DAOs be focusing on, in your opinion, as we're entering into this like super deep hibernation for the next few months? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm definitely going to ask you your take as well on this. I think there's like multiple pieces here I want to I want to break off. One is the everything that's happened with FTX. And by no means am I a financial expert and I can't talk about it as much. There's like the stuff that's happening with FTX, which is like very real. There's the stuff that's just happening in the general bear market. And I just think like DAOs in general right now. And I'll kind of like go in that order. The FTX thing is, is really like, again, it, it's actually just really sad in my opinion, and really just like kind of hurtful. It's just going to be hard. This is going to ruin a lot of friends that we have, a lot of colleagues, a lot of people that were doing really good experimentation. And it just like all of a sudden got rid of a whole bunch of capital that was going to go to fund experiments. And that is like a super unfortunate piece about all of this. I'm not going to comment so much on the centralized exchange risk versus decentralized. Like I think there's people much smarter than me on that. And I think we can all agree that like, yeah, decentralized finance is better for to stop what happened at FTX. But like there's also a lot of problems that DeFi itself is working out, right? So anyways, the really sad piece about that is that a lot of people that were going to be funding treasuries are no longer going to be funding treasuries. Money is now going to be at a premium for DAOs, especially the more experimental the DAOs are. Um, and this kind of gets into the bear market a bit, right? And so I want to talk about like what I think the implications of bear market is on DAOs. And then I think what something that I am seeing a lot of DAOs do right now, which I think is quite fascinating. I actually have this theory that like bear markets are for experimentation because when you have a huge treasury, you are way less willing to experiment with things. You're like, we have a massive t- like treasury. We're not going to go experiment. Like the stakes are way too high. In bear markets, you have zero dollars. And even if you paid someone in your token, it is worth nothing. <laughs> so like get out there and get weird, get funky, get wild, like go experiment with crazy stuff that you would never do when it's like a bull market, right? And so that's what I like would love to see more of. It's like obviously easier said than done. You can't pay your rent in vibes and you can't pay your rent in like tokens that don't mean anything. Not to shill govern too much, but like this is actually, I think something like govern is actually super beneficial because what it allows is that idea of retroactive funding. In the bear market, with Govern, you can just go ahead and start contributing to things. Whatever you think is a valuable contribution, however you want to contribute, just contribute it, record it with something like Govern, rack up those attestations to prove that you did it. And then in the next bull market, when people can go back and say, whoa, that was a dope podcast uh, Diana did, here I can find the records and I can retroactively reward those records. Building up your CV or list of contributions during a bear market is incredibly, incredibly beneficial. Um, that way, when we do have money again and, and when FTX hasn't like completely to the whole ecosystem, we can start rewarding really good work. Something I always like to point to is when I was getting into DAOs, there weren't that many DAOs. MalakDAO framework was one of the first things to kick off this whole thing. And if we had contributions showing what, how what Amin did and James Young did and many others contributed to this whole DAO revolution, that would be insanely valuable. And we can distribute value to people that actually create it. So that's a big piece that like I think about bear markets in general. We should be recording our work more because like this is how you get compounding value on that work that you've done. So like that's like a real like everyone stay inspired, please. I think ultimately what we should be doing is more, and this leads into my DAO piece a bit. What we should be doing as people that happen to be talkative about DAOs is spending more time talking about inspiration and real world things that people can be doing because I think that's what people need. 
right now is like a little bit like in like art, right? I think we should be interviewing more social and art based people because like that you're doing something because you like art to me is a lot of doing something because you love doing it and not because of necessarily the financial payoff. And like that's, we can learn a lot of lessons from artists right now. I agree with all of those. I, I would double click on the experimentation part because that's, I mean, that's, I would have said the same thing. I totally agree. I think bear markets are the perfect time to experiment with things, uh, especially in the context of DAOs, because still, like, everyone's trying to figure it out. No one really knows what they're doing. And this is the most low stakes time to experiment. And so people really, you know, shouldn't be shy about it. What's an experiment you really want to do, Diana? Uh, I mean, a rehash as a whole is an experiment. You know, everything we've done so far has been an experiment. Like nobody has run a podcast DAO before. No idea if it would be successful or not. And then now with building out our service DAO arm, I mean, service DAOs exist, but uh, what we're trying to build with like the content marketing media service DAO and the way we're doing it, all of it is experimental. And hell yeah, it's yeah. That's awesome. Well, what uh, have we done that's not experimental? Nothing. What? Nothing. Everything is an experiment. Right. Everything is an experiment. No, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, we should be doing more of these, and you should record those experiments with Govern. And I think that's I think it's a really good point. More experimentation is needed. And then what I've been seeing with DAOs, which I think is interesting, it feels like a lot of DAOs are either going through like or going through a lot of moments of introspective in, introspection yeah. right now. What's the right way to do things? What's the wrong way to do things? There's a lot of, in my opinion, either like aggregation of resources or disaggregation of resources based off like a lot of learnings. And I just can't tell if the main driver is one of experimentation and interest or because vibes are low. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I I kind of think maybe it's a combination of both. It's really hard to stay energized and keep that momentum going Right now in this bear market, I think that's part of it. I think people are worried about the longevity of their DAOs because, like you said, there's no funding right now. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's kind of top of mind for a lot of people is like, how long can we actually exist for? And that's like one thing I think too is like this bear market is probably going to kill off a lot of DAOs. Mm. But I think the DAOs that make it through the bear market will be the strongest DAOs Mm. ever. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And something that you said, I actually want to... A couple things here. I really agree. I think the ones that make it through are going to be strong. Something that's interesting that we've seen at Govern a lot is we valued one type of work in a bull market and now we're starting to try to value a different type of work. And I think like one of the things that's really interesting about DAOs and Web3 is the idea that normal job positions don't really make sense in a DAO context, right? And one of the things we've been really interested at Govern is what are the new types of job roles that emerge when people are presented with new opportunities for contribution? And you essentially do the contributions and you can look at your contribution graph and be like map out a new job description. And I feel that... We're starting to see the emergence of new job descriptions. They were one thing in a bull market, another, another thing in a bear market. And as DAO's goals are changing, people's jobs are changing. And, and that's been really fascinating to, to see kind of how that evolution has happened. But I do have want to take one point of, of and like a yes and statement on your last thing, which is that you're right. I think the DAOs that make it through the bear market are going to be stronger. But I also don't really love this framing that if the DAO doesn't survive, that it's quote unquote a failure, right? I think that we, MetaDreamer talks a lot about this. We need to do a lot more of understanding how 
things that die and decompose into new structures, new ideas. I think if we change our mindset in for DAOs in general, like, hey, whether you make it or don't make it through the bear market, if you as a contributor are still here when the bull market happens, you are going to be stronger for it. Even if the experiments you ran, quote unquote, failed, make sure they fail in a way that can provide lessons learned and experiments and potentially even retroactive funding to people be like, wow, that didn't work in the moment, but I can go back and do it. Um, so I think it's people that make it through the bear market are going to be stronger. And whether or not the DAO survives or not is like the less important piece. Like, it'd be sick if all the DAOs survived, but it's better to know that the contributions and contributors will survive. I um, mean, that can be decomposed into new structures and a new organic growth, like a phoenix that rises from the ashes. Absolutely. I, I agree completely. Yeah. The fact of the matter is not all DAOs are meant to be around forever. Some yep. DAOs are only meant to be around to accomplish one thing or a couple of things. And so once that thing is accomplished, the DAO should decomposed and should be shut down. And that's not a failure. That's a huge success. So yeah, absolutely. It's not like, it's not like the goal is to make it out of the bear market. If you're a DAO, it's more about like, you know, it's so case by case. Yes. This is something we, I used to, we used to be a very hot topic and it stopped, but I want to bring it back, bring back ephemeral DAOs. Um, Quick side note uh, to what you're talking about. Big shout out to, there's a talk given at DevCon by uh, Simona about DAOs having biomimicry, uh, mimicking different things that really happen in nature. Watch that talk from DevCon. Also, in that talk, MetaDreamer, um, who also talks a lot about mycelia networks, asks Simona specifically about how we buy, like, what are steps that we can actually do to make this decomposing or decaying process part of the biomimicry? It's an amazing, amazing exchange. Watch the talk, listen to that, listen to that question, and then follow both MetaDreamer and Simona. But, to your, what you're just saying now, bring back ephemeral DAOs. Ephemeral DAOs are something that we used to talk all the time about. This idea that DAOs come in, in, in my opinion, this is actually a great, one of the really beneficial pieces about DAOs. Okay. It's not the DAOs that last forever. It's the, it's like one thing we've been wanting to do is make flash mob DAOs. You show up, you do one contribution. It's a flash mob contribution and the DAO dies. But for this moment in time, it existed. Having an expiration date as part of your DAOs might be something that we should like introduce as a configuration. Like this DAO in its current version will only exist in this amount of time. Another good example of this, bringing back to politics a bit, there's this famous letter that the founding fathers of the United States wrote. I believe it was from James Madison to Thomas Jefferson or one of the, the other way around. But he writes that the constitution should be rewritten. I believe it was every 14 years. And the words that they used was that the law should be written by those of the living. That applies to like government, but that also applies to DAOs. If you have a DAO, maybe say this DAO rage quits automatically and 14 months. And like, we're going to have to, and if we think it's still a good DAO, we're going to have to rewrite the constitution and restart it again and like, see what amazing things we come up with. That would be a sick experiment. I think that's kind of what we do with seasons right now. Shout out to rehash. Um, but like, yeah, ephemeral DAOs, bring them back. I love that. Yeah. I love that idea of like rewriting the constitution every 14 years, 14 months, like whatever. I think that's, I think that's an excellent idea. The uh, I always like to say the reason I do like comparing politics a lot is it's really easy to think of, like accountability and governance improvements ideas 
are good when it's not your organization. When you're like, oh, that'd be great for the government to be doing. And we can take a much more critical eye where it's like, I'm like thinking through my own DAOs now as well. I'm like, damn, rewriting the whole constitution for this DAO every 14 months sounds terrible. But then like, when you think about it critically for other people's or for the government, you're like, that's a great idea. The government should do that. It's like, wow. We should do that as yeah. well then. You don't <laughs> want to be the one having to do that because it's a lot of work. But when you put yourself in the shoes of a constituent, you absolutely want that. Yes. Um, wait, we, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. This is, yes. this is it. Yes. Full circle, full circle. This is it. You said it. Why do we care about contrib- contributors as the focal point of so much about govern? It's because when you put your head or yourself in the constituent shoes, Everything changes. Your whole ability of how you build governance tools changes. How you run DAOs changes, right? Constituents equal contributors. Those are the same thing. Like everything we think of, if you want to think of the best way to do it, think of it from the contributor first perspective. And when you think about it that, you're going to build much more equitable systems. It's not about empowering the politicians. It's about empowering the constituents. It's about empowering the contributors. Like, yes, full circle, Diana, sorry to interrupt you, but damn, that was, that is it. We need to think of ourselves from the constituent, like that is how we build the DAOs that are going to get people energized and psyched. And that's how we throw a better party. Um, So, yeah. Preach. Preach. I think that's an excellent note to end on. Amen. Uh, we've got to wrap it up because you've got to go real soon. And I like to end every episode with a few fun questions for the guests. So we're going to see if we can do this in five minutes. Let's do um, it. If it takes you too long to think of an answer, we'll just move on or force you to say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. So first question, you get to rebrand one thing in Web3 and it's guaranteed to stick. What do you rebrand? Um, uh, rebrand one thing in Web3 and guaranteed to stick. Um, the... Language in the Bitcoin white paper. Oh, okay. You would just rewrite it in like a more uh, understandable way for yep. the layperson? Okay. Yep. I support that 100%. Second question. If you could wave a magic wand and any Web3 app, tool, or protocol would immediately exist, what would you want that to be? The ability to uh, vote without signing into wallets. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Maybe we'll get there one day. Third one. If Govern were a famous person or animal or character from history or pop culture, who would it be? I think I already asked you this on a different uh, a different time. So yeah, we'd be a this? we'd be a kangaroo. Is that what you said last time? I don't remember. I was also. I think it was different. I think it was different. But I do like kangaroo. <laughs> Okay, I'll have to go back and see what you said last time because now we've evolved into from whatever into we're, a kangaroo. We're always evolving. We're always evolving here, government. We are, we are. Okay, if money were no issue, like if you knew you'd be financially set for the rest of your life, what would you be doing with your life? Skiing. Yeah, with dogs. With like right? a whole host of dogs. I knew host. we were going to, I told you we were going to bring I'm actually, Ski Stoke and dogs into this conversation. I'm, I'm sad we didn't bring them in earlier, but we would definitely have a lot of dogs. Uh, we'd definitely be skiing. And we'd also have a helicopter that ran on uh, a, a biofuel and electricity to take us to the city every now and then. Um, oh, and we'd nice. have a minimum of six to eight dogs, a mix of labs and, I don't know, pit bulls are speaking to me right now. Um, and not also not labs. I think a couple shepherds would be good. Um, and they'd have multiple acres to run around and play and they could all backcountry ski. So when we're skiing, they can run down the mountain and run up the mountain and they would just have full grazing privileges. Love it. Love that dream. And then last one, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? Is this like a forever or is it just like 
like for the next year what, or two? What, no, in, in your ideal world. So maybe your answer is you wouldn't live anywhere. You would like bounce around or something. Um, I think in my ideal world, I'd still probably live in one spot. Honestly, I love California, San Francisco. Like, I don't think I'll, like, it's like not my home right now, um, but I just, it's so beautiful. It's got all the different pieces. Um, yeah. Nice. Is that where you're from? I can't remember. I am from, I'm actually from Sacramento, okay. but yes, yeah, San Francisco okay, okay, is, yeah, yeah. is it. Lake Tahoe. Nice. I live in Lake Tahoe. Or maybe Ooh. Patagonia and Argentina. Yeah. That would be pretty I like good. that too. Patagonia yeah, and Argentina sound like pretty that. good. Yeah, it's a bit remote, but I would maybe go visit you like once every five years. Oh, come on, once every five years. We're <laughs> rewriting the Dow Constitution every 14 months. I feel like that's minimum amount of maximum amount of time we can go without, you know. Man, all right. Okay, we'll figure something out. Aaron, before you go, tell people where they can find you if they want to follow you personally and then where they can go to check out all things Govern. Yes. Um, so you can find us on Twitter. Uh, at If you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at Aaron Soskin, A-A-R-O-N-S-O-S-K-I-N. Uh, and you can find us on Govern on Twitter at, at GovernHQ. That is G-O-V-R-N-H-Q. There is no E, G-O-V-R-N-H-Q. Um, and come find us online at govern.io, G-O-V-R-N.io. You can click to all of the different um, pieces of the Govern ecosystem. Um, come join our private beta. We're, we're testing out Govern right now with many, many DAOs. Start recording your contributions. It's a fun party. Uh, and yeah, those are, those are the best places. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Aaron. Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully, your mic is okay uh, after <laughs> all this, all this you, passionate Diana. talk about DAOs. Um, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And we'll be back again next, not next week because it's Thanksgiving, but the week after with another episode of Rehash. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Rehash, a Web3 podcast. Aaron Soskin was nominated by Stefan and voted onto the podcast by Zaji, Niche, Stefan, Zaku, and other anonymous DAO members. Rehash is hosted by Diana Chen, produced and edited by Ellie Dots and Tyler Internet, sponsored by Lens, Avenue, and Govern, and as always, supported by Rehash DAO. To stay up to date on all things Rehash, you can follow us on Twitter at RehashWeb3, on Lens at Rehash.Lens, and join our Discord to get involved.